In light of recent events, no Oreos will be allowed in the library. We have a saying in our house, every rule is named after somebody. There is always somebody in a story attached to them that leads to stuff like this. This is the Greg rule. We all know Greg can't avoid or resist Oreo-related mayhem, and so we have to set a boundary with him, and that remains up. And often the rule or the sign outlives the person. We, we forget what the story was behind why we can't have Oreos in the library. We forget that Greg plastered the entire magazine section with Oreos. We just know that this is, this is how we do things here in the library. This is a library. Of course, we don't allow Oreos in here. Why would you need Oreos in the library? We don't know how we got there. It's just the way we do things. And over time, we lose context. Sometimes this is a natural process, and sometimes, sometimes people want us to forget the story, to forget the names on purpose. Sometimes people will want to just outright prevent us from telling the story. Uh, ban it outright. We will never tell these stories in this community again. This, this is kind of the shape of what happened in Florida last year with the Stop Woke bill, where we were no longer going to, in schools or in private businesses, allow stories to be told that might make people feel uncomfortable uh, because of whatever race they might be. And of course, the, the rule is vague enough that nobody knew really what stories they could or could not tell, so they started just kind of lopping off every detail that might lean into telling a story of, oh, say, the civil rights movement. And so all of a sudden, Rosa Parks just showed courage. One day she rode the bus, she was told to move to a different seat, she did not. She did what she believed was right. That's the story of Rosa Parks in Florida right now, um, which I gotta be honest, when you take race out of the whole equation there, it's a much more relatable story. I mean, I too, on many occasions, have been asked to get up out of my seat and go somewhere else, and so I really identify with that now, and I can feel good about that. I need a sarcasm tag somewhere in the middle of these. When we forget the stories, when we forget the stories that make us uncomfortable, that make us cringe a little bit, when we forget them or we're prevented from telling them or we force them out of the conversation, what we do is start to create the illusion of a perfect past. Everything was fine back then. How things are right now are just the way things are, and they're working out pretty good for many of us. 
And now, all of a sudden, there's all this anger and all this desire for change from these people over here. And we don't understand where is this all coming from. Everything was perfect. We did things the way we did things. They're trying to disrupt our way of life. Why would someone do this? Why would somebody want to cut off that part of the narrative in order to be able to separate out the us from the them so easily? Uh, one, because it lets a lot of us off the hook. It gives us free reign to not think about the things we do not want to think about. Which is why Stop Woke was presented as a way of preventing people from feeling guilty. Nobody likes to feel guilty. It's an awful feeling. So aren't you glad we're looking out for you? You don't have to feel guilt about things you want to think about. Two, it preserves the benefits of the system for the sum who are benefiting from it. I mean, somebody's doing well by the way things work around here, the way we do things around here. Not for everybody, but we just said you're not allowed to talk about that anymore. It preserves the benefits for the sum, and it preserves and it strengthens the power of those who have power in that system of the way we do things around here. It's no coincidence that reflecting back to a perfect past and telling stories about it is recognized as one of the steps on the pathway to authoritarianism, controlling the story we tell about who we are. But we know, at least I hope we know, that the story of a perfect past is a lie. We know that that perfection that gets talked about only applied to a few people, that it left a lot of others out in the cold. Sometimes that in and that out group shifts. When we forget the stories of our foibles, of our failures, of our less than stellar moments, when we ban those stories from being told, the stories of how we got here and why we do things the way we do, it means we can no longer reconcile with one another. We can't reconcile across the herd, across the haves and the have-nots, against the in-group and the out-group. We can't make the progress we might hope to have in building a beloved community of widening that circle, that in-circle, ever wider and wider. And the longer we go without telling the stories, the deeper we bury them down into the muck where they can't be seen, the harder and harder it becomes over time to really do that work of healing, of reconciliation. Things get more and more entrenched. The way we do things around here becomes the way we do things around here. And the suffering without that continues.
so what, John? What do we do about that? How do we make change in a system that wants to assuage guilt so we don't have to face things? How do we make a change so the whole story can be told, so we can build that community, so we can widen that circle? I think it starts with that notion of guilt that is built in to that system and that storytelling. I think we begin by dismantling the very popular and false narrative that when we tell these stories, guilt is the desired outcome. Because that's certainly the story we're being told. We do not tell the rougher stories of our history to feel guilty, to make anyone feel guilty. We tell them because we need to understand how we got here and what not to do and how to do something differently, to imagine something better. Isabel Wilkerson, in her book, Cast, writes the following, we in the developed world are like homeowners who inherited a house on a piece of land that is beautiful on the outside, but whose soil is unstable, heaving and contracting over generations, cracks patched but deeper ruptures deferred for decades. Many people would rightly say, I had nothing to do with how this all started. I have nothing to do with the sins of the past. My ancestors, ancestors never attacked indigenous people, never owned slaves. And yes, and yes, not one of us was here when the house was built. Our immediate ancestors may have had nothing to do with it, but here we are, current occupants of a property with stress cracks and bowed walls and fissures built into the foundation. We are the heirs to whatever is right or wrong with it. We did not erect the uneven pillars or the joists, but they are ours to deal with now. And any further deterioration is in our hands. When we hear the stories of the sins of our past, it helps to not think of them as our own personal problem. It's a generational problem. We're not being accused of anything, we're just being told how it is, the way things are, and how we do or don't do things around here. It's, it's, it's a communal exercise for us to understand what has come before. When we feel guilt in hearing those stories, I think it derives from uh, what I like to call main character energy. We think we're the main character in the story, and when we hear the bad story, we think, oh no, you can't lay that on me, I had nothing to do with that. We're forgetting that this whole thing, this life, this world we're building, it's an ensemble piece. We each get our moments. None of us gets top billing. 
none of us is going to be the focus of the whole character arc through the whole thing. We tell those stories because we need to understand them to fix them. We tell the stories so we can imagine something different, so we can act in a way that works towards that different, that better, that gets us to a place where we can forgive ourselves for mistaking ourselves for the main character, for one thing, and for turning away from a problem that is ours to share. Our heritage, and that's our theme this month, the heritage, what we have inherited to get us who we are and where we are today, includes all of the mistakes and all of the failings of those who've come before, along with all of those triumphs and those great moments, all of those pioneers who have made us who we are. The shadow comes with the light, not because we're guilty of anything, but to put the jigsaw heart back together. It helps in this instance, then, to approach history with humility. And I say that knowing that there is a lot in our history, in our personal histories, in the history of our country, in the history of the world, there's a lot in that history that makes us feel proud to be who we are, that gives us a definite sense of pride, and well, it should. But again, we have to pull ourselves out of the, the center of understanding that story. The history of the world is not about me. Though sometimes I like to think it does. The history of the world is about us, and not just us sitting here in this room, us around this world, us who all came before us, and us who are gonna come after us, who are gonna have to clean up whatever mess we've made along the way, because we're just doing our best. We need to hear the stories with humility. When we approach history, even if it's happening right in front of us, even as we are participating in it, it makes a difference. Let me tell you a story from our history. In 1993, the Unitarian Universalist General Assembly was held in Charleston, North Carolina. Oh, I'm sorry. Charlotte, North Carolina, which was at the time the part of the UUA's Thomas Jefferson District, because Thomas Jefferson was a Unitarian. No, he wasn't. Um, it was a major anniversary for Jef Jefferson himself, and so they decided that the theme for the ball that they would hold towards the end of the gathering would be Thomas Jefferson, and everybody should come, if they're able to, in period costume to celebrate Jefferson and his achievements and his Unitarian connections. And this gave some folks pause. Black Unitarians in our numbers said, hey, wait a minute. Um, 
what would our period costume be exactly? Hope Johnson, who was a lay leader in one of our New York congregations and later a very influential minister amongst us, asked the question out loud as they gather a small delegation to speak at the microphone during a business session, am I supposed to arrive in rags and chains? And you could hear a pin drop. It would be easy in that moment for everybody who had planned that ball, for everybody who celebrated the heritage that Thomas Jefferson gave to us to immediately go on the defensive, to ignore the story they were being told, to push back. And while there was an instinct to do that in the moment, something interesting happened. The leaders of the General Assembly who've been planning things, and the folks who got up to speak to remind us that the history isn't all as bright and shiny as we think it is, got together, they stopped the meeting for an hour and said, let's work this out. Let's see if we can come to some kind of a solution. And they talked to one another and they heard one another. And the outcome in that moment wasn't perfect because nothing rarely is. What they decided was the ball would go on as planned because money had been spent and yada, 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 but the costume requirement would be shunted aside. You can if you want, but you don't have to, and most did not. And there was a little bit of protesting outside the ball. And afterwards, everyone stayed at the table. All those people who could have been at one another's throats uh, became friends, seriously, friends, lifelong friends. Two of them entered seminary together because in that moment they felt a call to do something in the movement. They imagined something better and they wanted to do it together on completely opposite sides of that moment. And a few years later, the UA as a whole passed a resolution to start really doing that inward reflecting I was talking about, to start looking at what it is in our history that might be on those shadow sides so that we can talk about them and deal with them and imagine something different when we understand them. And about nine years later, the Thomas Jefferson District itself just became the Southeast District, not wanting to have the name attached anymore, knowing the whole story. I tell this story, one, as an example of what happens when we approach the passage of history with humility, either the stories that came before us or the stories we are telling right now. What happens 
when we get over our own little selves and just stay in the relationships together. And I tell the story because it is, it is still a story that is told in Unitarian Universalist circles. It comes up and is celebrated time and again because it is part of the whole story of who we are as a religious people. It is part of the whole story of how we got here and why we do things the way we do them. It's part of the story about how we can do something better when we approach things with humility and honesty. Our heritage is the whole story. And we tell the darker parts of the story not to shame anyone, but to understand and to grow so that we do not repeat the mistakes and the horrors of the past. So we build a world where it's harder to make those mistakes. The only shame in the telling of any of those stories comes in refusing to meet the whole story where it is, in refusing to hear it at all, and in failing to answer the challenge that it presents to all of us. It is a deep, deep profession of faith to be able to be a part of community and be able to tell the stories of triumph and the stories of failing and to look at ourselves honestly and say, I love us and I want us to be better. I love us and I want us to be better. There is no perfect past. But if we're facing everything with honesty and humility, the future has a little potential, I think. Maybe so.